Welcome to a podcast by debate. This is Patrick Sullivan, your co-anchor. We have the distinguished honor to interview uh, Emily Beach. Emily Beach um, is from the East Coast. Uh, whereabouts in the East Coast, Emily? Grew up in Massachusetts, Western Ma- Mass. I'll try not to give you my Massachusetts <laughs> imitation because sometimes it's not too good, but uh, sometimes <laughs> it is. Um, Emily Beach has uh, been uh, currently sits on the uh, council for the city of Burlingame. She was mayor in uh, 2020, um, and I'm assuming you were also vice mayor at one time too, Emily. That's right. right. Yep. Emily is a mom, a veteran, and also uh, um, a Silicon Valley. Uh, what did you do in Silicon Valley? I worked in the semiconductor industry, so I was a business executive for a number of years. Yeah. Emily, why don't you give us a little background about yourself? Emily is also a veteran. Emily is running for the 15th District of Congress, uh, which is currently held by Jackie Spear since the year 2008. Uh, many, of know, many of you know Jackie Spear as an advocate for housing, seniors, uh, lesbian, gay rights, um, also accountability to uh, people back in Washington. So, Emily, why don't you give us a little background about yourself and why you're running? Sure. No, I appreciate that. Uh, You know, first and foremost, I'm running because this is an open seat, and we've got big challenges in the 15th Congressional District and, quite frankly, in our country. So I think we really need people with the right leadership skills and the right experience to help tackle some of the biggest challenges we're facing, whether it's... uh, you know, healing our planet from climate emergency that we're undergoing, whether it's tackling wealth and income inequality, systemic racism, and also just restoring trust in our institutions and civility to our public discourse. So those are some big reasons I'm running. I do think I bring incredibly broad life experience to the mix, and I believe that that experience and those leadership skills I've developed over the years and both the private, public sector, nonprofit sector, and yeah, and the military as well has has kind of equipped me for this job. So a little bit about my background. Yes, I grew up in Western Massachusetts, um, went to college on an Army scholarship at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana, um, studied Spanish there, studied abroad, lived with a Spanish-speaking family, developed some language skills there, worked, uh, advocated for immigrants one summer on a border town, helping do political asylum cases, uh, translation there. Um, But then I served for four years on active duty, really all around the country and around the globe. So primarily um, trained in and out of Texas, served in Korea for 13 months, led uh, and commanded a Patriot missile battery in Saudi Arabia for six months, Uh, went to Army Airborne Parachute School, trained in Kentucky, North Carolina, Georgia. So really worked with people from all walks of life as a veteran. I think that's an important uh, skill. We can happy to talk more about that, why, why veterans bring uh, important skill set, I think, to, to uh, Congress. But following the Army, we, my husband and I settled out here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I worked as a business executive, as I mentioned, in the semiconductor industry, was the breadwinner for my family for a few years while he was in grad school. Um, when our kids came, we moved from San Francisco. Interestingly, our first apartment was in the 15th Congressional District in the southern part of San Francisco on the corner of Mission and Geneva. We lived in our first uh, apartment there and then later in Bernal Heights. But after seven years in San Francisco, we moved to Burlingame uh, for the quality of life for the great public schools, and I became very involved in uh, volunteering in the community, both at first 
uh, in the preschools that my kids were attending, and then later uh, running Burlingame's Education Foundation, which really fundraised for the public schools, championed equity, and then later ran for a seat on city council in 2015. And I've just um, loved my time in public service and really feels like it uses all the skills I've developed uh, over, over many years to improve our communities, and that's really what it's all about. And, and to our audience, um, uh, Emily is the only woman in the race right now uh, trying to replace Jackie Spear. Jackie Spear has been in there since 2008, if I'm not mistaken, that's so correct. it's about 14 years. Um, why you over all the other candidates? What what leadership skills do you bring? I, obviously, you did mention the veteran, and that definitely brings a lot yeah. to the table. Uh, tell us why you. Well, I think um, you, you mentioned the veteran experience. That's really important in Congress. Congress makes decisions about foreign policy, uh, determines military budgets, whether or not our daughters and sons go into harm way into harm's way for military conflict. We only we have an all time low right now in Congress. Only seventeen percent of our Congress has any military experience, down from uh, I think it was up to seventy three percent in the nineteen seventies. So since World War II, this is the lowest uh, amount of military experience we've ever had in Congress, and we've seen with Ukraine that matters right now. Um, but not only that, folks in the military, we are trained to put country and service above ourselves and petty differences, and which I think translates in politics to petty partisan differences, um, and really know how to work on teams with people from all walks of life. Your life depends on it in the military. You have to get over differences. doesn't matter where you come from, what color you are, what religion you are. You figure out how to trust one another and, and be on a team and be a mission-driven organization. And I think those are really important skills that veterans bring. Um, I'm the only candidate in this race who's actually worked in Silicon Valley in the private sector. We need leaders in Congress who understand the private sector, who speak that language. And, you know, I believe that we need to leverage the talent in the private sector in order to build a more sustainable world. So I think I bring that to the equation. Certainly as a parent of teenagers, that's another thing that I bring that's different, uh, navigating the pandemic with teenagers who have experienced, you know, schooling the way, the, how challenging it was. Uh, kids these days are really challenged with, with so many other um, issues surrounding mental health. I've got kids, I've been a foster parent, and I'm a parent of teens uh, that have navigated the public schools with learning differences and special needs. I think that's a very important perspective to bring to Congress because that is the realm uh, of the federal government in education. So I bring that experience as well. And then certainly as a, the person who's been closest to the people, um, representing communities at the local level as a mayor during the pandemic, seven years on city council. Local government is where the rubber meets the road. How policies in D.C. and, quite frankly, Sacramento impact local communities. Uh, Can you share with the audience um, on your seven years on city council in Burlingame a tough decision that you had to make and that necessarily wasn't well received? Sure. I mean, I think that's one thing we learn at the local level is how to build coalitions and get big things done even against strong political headwinds. One thing that I champion that I'm particularly proud of that was hard um, was an accelerated minimum wage in Burlingame. That was not a slam dunk in some communities. Um, 
the community and the council was united behind that. It was a much uh, tougher battle in Burlingame, and it took a long time to get it to the point. Finally, when I was mayor, I was able to actually put it on the agenda in 2020. And we even did that in the midst of the pandemic, but we built a coalition of community partners, both workforce, labor, community members, um, and, and folks that really helped us understand the economic impact of the lowest wage workers in our community and what they were actually earning compared to the myths of what people thought they were actually earning, and it really built a compelling case that people needed more than the state minimum wage, just acknowledging that we have a more expensive part of the world, and it, and it turned out to be just fine and really help some of the folks that are uh, our service workers at the lowest end of the pay, pay spectrum. Okay, um, on your bio, you describe yourself as asking the tough questions. What do you mean by asking the tough questions? Well, I think when you're in local government and you have to dig into issues that are complex, you have to be willing to have courage and stand up and challenge the status quo and dig into issues and roll up your sleeve with staff, with community members, listen as much as possible to the community you're representing, and then lead the way um, towards the things that, that you think are, um, you know, in the best interests of the community. Um, you know, recently we had an issue in Burlingame where we were exploring um, automatic license plate readers. You know, that's, a, that's an issue. We have a lot of community members that are concerned about increasing crime. Um, asking tough questions, asking the chief of police, hey, what are our crime rates, as opposed to what are people saying on next door, but what's the actual data saying? showing that actually our crime trends are on the way down. Asking tough questions about, okay, well, you know, we know that the police is interested in having automatic license plate readers, but what's the data showing? Do they actually make a difference um, in communities to reduce crime? Um, let's ask beyond other uh, jurisdictions and police departments and let's talk to civil rights advocates and just understand what their concerns are. So one of the things I championed um, in that discussion, and it's still underway, but let's get some policy framework in place that can help us vet these kind of technologies so that when we have new technologies like this that could bring up some concerns with people's data privacy, um, civil rights, that we have a policy framework where we're vetting it properly and really understanding the impacts and doing a thorough impact analysis of these technologies. Not that we're going to say no to automatic license plate readers, but let's create the policies in place so that we do it thoughtfully and that we have accountability and reevaluate them in a year's time. And so we're in the process of hopefully making those policies um, come to fruition. Now you, you mentioned that you became mayor in 2020, and that's mm -hmm. just at the pivotal time when COVID was yeah. Happened. Tell us what was happening in Burlingame and what was happening with not only um, the the staff, the citizens. What was what was going on in Burlingame and how did you handle that? That well, was a tough time. It really was. It was a remarkable year. I mean, we started the year, um, you know, not having any really. I mean, other than reading what was going on in Wuhan, you know, like everybody else in the newspaper, we had no idea what was going to hit us. I remember giving the state of the city address at the Chamber of Commerce. Um, really excited about some sustainability goals. We were on our bike ped master plan. It was going to be the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Um, we were going to really tackle minimum wage. Um, and then everything blew up, right, in, in mid-March. Um, I think confusion was on the minds of so many people. And I'm proud of the way we responded. We were the first 
city in the county to hold a uh, community town hall, which we really, it wasn't all about the city council. We put the city staff up front. We had the city manager um, and the staff who were sort of on the front lines with the county manager really answering questions from the community about these changing health orders, getting some expertise in the room, uh, but driving that to make sure we did that was really important. I have a tradition Ever since 2015, when I was elected, I did coffee and conversation events in local coffee shops, meeting with constituents where they were every other month, sometimes every month um, since 2015. When the pandemic hit, I transitioned those to virtual. Every week I was on uh, with constituents. Sometimes 20 would show up, sometimes three. But people needed to hear from their leaders. So that was important. Then, you know, May 25th, right, George Floyd was killed. Uh, just brutally murdered, navigating not only the pandemic, but the call for, for police reform, and then really having a, re having a reckoning in our community to understand, hey, what policies could we have that could be improved? How can we um, just navigate this time? We had um, one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of that we did in Burlingame um, that was sort of outside of the government realm, but uh, we, I saw a need that people wanted to help one another but didn't know what to do, and people felt very isolated. And with a couple of volunteers, but I convened a group we called the Burlingame Collaborative to come together and to try to fill the gaps in our COVID response where the government really didn't have the resources or was busy doing so many other things and really just bring community leaders together. Um, and it was a bit of a leap of faith. We didn't even know exactly what we were trying to accomplish, but we convened about 60 leaders via Zoom starting in June. We came up with a vision for what we wanted to try to tackle, and then we implemented volunteer-based local solutions. And it, the collaborative continues today. It was incredible. Business leaders, faith leaders, uh, you know, Rotarians, um, educators, all different. Tell us a little bit about what yeah. you did during the COVID for businesses. Local businesses, as you know, were hurting. Uh, some have not recovered. Yep. What 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 is the city of Burlingame put in place um, that you are very proud of? Well, we we did. I think we had one of the largest. Um, aid packages that we we sort of implemented in many different ways for COVID relief that literally came out of our general fund. This wasn't money that was just passed through from higher levels of government. And we made a really big commitment to businesses. Certainly we put policies in place where we allowed them to extend their um, extend their uh, restaurants were able to move outside quickly. We closed down some streets to make things more pedestrian, give more space so it was a little bit safer and accessible to be downtown. Um, we covered their business improvement district fees, which were significant and substantial, um, uh, which was a big commitment. We also funded uh, a few hundred thousand dollars. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but um, towards... Uh, business grants that were administered through SAMCEDA for Burlingame businesses. Um, we Then we did volunteer-based things through the collaborative where volunteers helped create a marketplace online where businesses could sell gift cards just to kind of pay it forward, uh, a marketplace where uh, people could, when they didn't necessarily have to spend the money now, could go forth and spend um, in the in uh, the local economy to help keep businesses afloat. But we ended up doing a package that was about a million dollars. Half of it was devoted to um, business support, and then the other half was devoted to individual support that were really suffering. So we 
um, did a, a large contribution to Call Primrose, our local food bank, and then we created a rental and economic assistance through Samaritan House, too, to help some of our, our folks. You know, we're, we're kind of on the road of recovery from COVID, and hopefully yeah. it's not going to reoccur in the same fashion. Um, and some of the issues that we're facing, not only locally, it's nationally. And one of the big ones right now is child care. Can you distinguish your yourself from the other candidates on how you feel that we should approach child care? Um, I know that the uh, county out here and the state has been real aggressive in trying to uh, take care of that. And I know yeah. the local cities. Tell us what you've done in Burlingame and what you see if you were back in Washington. Yeah, no, I've been a, an advocate for it. I've kind of led the way in our local zoning codes to make sure that we uh, created incentives um, for new development to come in and let that be a preference where they can get more uh, of what they want if they include additional child care facilities. I've made some connections with, you know, Build Up San Mateo when we have development to come in and try to um, leverage their knowledge for their facilities infrastructure with new development that's going on. Um, recently, just before I um, threw my hat in the ring for this congressional seat, I had taken a new um, day job paid position in early childhood education advocacy, which certainly includes child care and early learning. It's an area of passion of mine. I was a preschool music teacher for 10 years. I've raised my own kids. They're now 18 and 15. Um, I continue to raise them, right? But as a parent, as a woman that like has been on the front line of this, this is something uh, that we need to do better because it's part of affordability too, right? To, you know, the cost of housing is really extraordinary in our part of the world, but also the cost of childcare and the lack of um, facilities, which have been even further decimated through COVID. So I think we really need to focus on this um, at the federal level, and federal resources can do a big job to help. Um, I really appreciated the president's vision in Build Back Better, where there was a lot of money there for universal pre-K, for childhood early learning facilities. We need to, you know, that didn't pass the Senate, but that battle will continue to be fought, and I will be absolutely on the front lines of that, making sure that we've got the resources we need um, to not only help create the programs, but help create the facilities that are needed out here what, as well. What can we do about climate control? That's, that seems to be the big buzzword here. Um, what's your position on climate control, and, how, and can you distinguish your position any different from any of the other candidates? Well, you know, there was a great debate uh, held by the Citizens' Climate Lobby about two weeks ago. It's on my website. It's um, out there online. Anybody can watch it. And the focus of that debate was all about climate action. I have put forth climate action as my number one priority. My top priorities in this race, just you know, to be clear, climate action, uh, housing and homelessness, education, which I'd love to talk about too, and mental health. I am putting forth those issues as top priorities. These are real kitchen table issues that matter to the people of the 15th Congressional District, and they matter to our country. Um, where I come down on climate action is it's got to be our number one priority because without um, seriously addressing it, we don't have a planet uh, <laughs> to live on um, and to hand to the next generation. So, again, a vision, um, I, you know, I, Build Back Better had some great um, opportunities. I think my... Uh, take on the three biggest priorities for climate action are making sure that we have rebates and subsidies for people to do those sustainable improvements um, in their homes and in um, in our region, whether it's solar panels, electric vehicle charging stations, um, home improvements, our water heaters, 
um, and our HVAC are things that create a lot of carbon emissions. And if we can create incentives that are easy and don't have a lot of bureaucracy for people to get rebates they need to retrofit some of their homes, that's really important. Uh, number two, I'm a huge believer in pricing, um, having policies that use market-driven policies to create sustainable behavior, like a carbon fee and a dividend that goes back to the community. So uh, make sure that uh, corporations and, and things that pollute, you pay an extra tax on that carbon, but then it comes back to the consumer as opposed to just being passed along. I think that's a really important policy. And then thirdly, we have got to protect our biodiversity and our um, in our environment, I think I've been a champion for open space. I championed nine acres of open space preservation on Burlingame's Bayfront when there was a huge movement to put another hotel there, and that was on public land, so it was very important we kept open space. But we've got to protect biodiversity, which is disappearing at an extraordinary rate. You talked about um, homelessness and mental health. Those are yeah. two passionate things for us at Podcast by the Bay. How would you approach it differently, meaning... How would you look at it locally, state, and federal? And how are we, in your opinion, approaching it? Well, I think homelessness has sort of a two-pronged um, issues that are tied to it. Well, maybe even three. Affordability is one thing, right? There's some people that lose their home. They just can't afford to pay rent anymore. They're living in their cars. There's other people that are struggling with homelessness because they have serious mental health issues or serious addiction problems. And that's where I think California, quite frankly, has dismantled our uh, our mental health system and the beds that we have available and the resources, and we're trying to build it back. But that's where the federal government can play a big role, um, and we need to make a huge commitment to that. We also need to fund uh, more mental health services in our school systems and our public schools. It's an area of passion of mine with a lot of firsthand experience there. And when it comes to housing and affordability, the federal government can help, you know, having worked seven years at the local level and really our Burlingame City Council united was absolutely united. I'm so proud of the work we've done where we've leaned into creating more housing in a way that is sustainable and works well for our community around transit hubs increasing density where it makes sense to do so, so people can live a car light life. Uh, we've got nearly 2,000 units in the pipeline at all levels of affordability. Um, we are embracing in our new general plan that we passed uh, two or three years ago, 23% population growth. That is huge for a small city. So we are doing all the right things here in Burlingame, but I know having worked on the front line what resources we need, and those are those federal tax credits to create deeper levels of affordability so we don't just have market rate housing coming in, but that we have uh, affordability levels for folks at the lowest end of the spectrum um, all the way up to the missing middle that are just, you know, our teachers and our workforce uh, that we need to sustain our community. You know, it's kind of a controversial question I'm going to ask you about. Uh, what's your policy on immigration? Obviously, in this country, we've, we've had a, a political divide, so to speak, mm -hmm. on the word immigration. How do you think we can do a better job of handling immigration? We need absolutely, we've been talking about it for 40 or 50 years, comprehensive immigration reform. 
And that is something everybody, I believe, most everybody can agree we need. Um, I really admire uh, Vice President Harris, who's trying to figure this out. You know, she's been tasked with a huge, huge challenge. But we need to do better by our immigrants. I am a firm believer in having a pathway to citizenship. I support DACA, uh, temporary protective status. Um, again, I have some empathy for the immigrant community, having, <laughs> interestingly, having studied government and Spanish at, at the University of Notre Dame. Um, in 19, I believe it was, yes, it was 1995, I spent a summer uh, volunteering, translating political asylum cases down in Immokalee, Florida, at a Florida rural, rural Legal Services. And that was at a time when Latin America, there was so much violence happening in Latin America, and immigrants were coming to this country from some of the most horrific circumstances, hearing their firsthand accounts of how dangerous their countries were, that they were coming here for political asylum. Also, Haiti was a really um, just a mess at the time. And interestingly, back in November of 94, Prop 218 um, had just passed where um, you know, California had basically tried to, had passed um, an initiative where uh, they didn't even want immigrants to participate in public schools. So there was this interesting dynamic at the time. So my heart really leans into helping immigrants. We are a country of immigrants, uh, but we need comprehensive immigration reform that is more fair, that is more equitable, that doesn't just, that pref doesn't just preference um, the people uh, that are not immigrants of color, right? You know, we embrace refugees sometimes from countries um, uh, differently, uh, depending, unfortunately, I think there's, there's a component that it looks like folks who uh, maybe come from European descent, we treat a little bit differently than we do from, from countries where people are of color. And I think we need to be mindful of that and really uh, try to have a more equitable system so that immigrants from all different education levels, because they're part of our California economy too, can find a way uh, to have a pathway to citizenship. So you know, we, we live in such a unique state. Uh, the cost of housing is off the charts across the country. There's a few other states that share that. Yep. How do you feel that we can do a better job? What I want you to do is tie in housing and transportation. As many of my interviews, an opportunity to interview assemblymen and senators and mm -hmm. congresspeople too. Uh, the, the big divide is the lack of efficient transportation, at least in the state of California. Yeah. So how do you think we can tackle it if you're going to be back there in Washington fighting for us? How can we tackle the housing, transportation? And um, I want to also make reference to an article that was in the uh, Daily Journal, and this was my passion about housing. Mm -hmm. The state has some 90 properties or 92 properties, surplus properties, a lot mm -hmm. of them in an unincorporated area. And to the this date, there's only two or three of them that have actually been earmarked to be used for affordable housing. Mm -hmm. How can we unlock that? Yeah, well, we've got to do better, um, especially if they're dormant and they're not being used um, and leveraged appropriately. Look, I spent, uh, I think I've been on the San Mateo County Transportation Authority Board of Directors since 2017, 2017. So that puts it at five years. I chaired that organization for two years. Uh, probably the most uh, passionate work that I've done that I've focused on at the local level, which has brought me not only in my city, championing bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure and, you know, other systems. I sit on the commute.org board of directors, 
Um, at the county level, we oversee about $3 billion worth of transportation infrastructure investments. And then I've served at state level committees, uh, environmental quality, and advocated um, at the federal level uh, through the National League of Cities for transportation and infrastructure funding especially in urban areas like ours. I am a huge believer in public transit. I use it frequently. My family uses it frequently. Uh, we had one car for about 15 years. Uh, we still drive very minimally, and all my, my, my kids commute via train and shuttles and bicycles to school. My husband um, is a commuter to San Francisco on his bike and then train in BART, um, and I am too. So uh, sustainable transportation infrastructure is the key. If it's 50% of our carbon emissions, we need to invest more in it, but we can't do it without federal investment. So I've I've been to Washington, D.C. Um, on an advocacy trip to advocate for more rail funding, um, particularly for rail safety improvement funding, uh, but also served on a, on a federal infrastructure committee uh, advocating for more federal resources to come to the Bay Area because you're exactly right. Without uh, the transportation infrastructure, we can't make transit-oriented uh, housing work as well as it should because there are people that like to live a car-light lifestyle. My family is one of them. More people will do it if they have alternatives, and that will not only save our earth, but it will save congestion on our roads and improve our Emily, life. Emily, if you were back in Congress, what, would you do anything different with the current Ukraine situation? Do you, do you have a different uh, outlook on it? You know, I wouldn't pretend to be like Monday morning quarterbacking. There's so much that we don't know without secret briefings and such. I think the president and Congress has exactly the right strategy. I wish we did even more aid sooner. I mean, I wish we could have, uh, because the, 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 the people of Ukraine need to win this for themselves, but they need quite frankly, the weaponry, and they need the humanitarian aid to help them through it. And so we need to unleash as many resources as possible with those anti-tank weapons and the anti-aircraft um, weapons um, as possible. They've got to win this. It is a huge high-stakes situation. So I think the president is absolutely on the right track. I'm very concerned about World War III erupting if we get in a direct conflict with President Putin. Okay, back in Washington, the buzzword across the country is political divide. Yeah. How can you bring strong leadership back to Washington, D.C., and overcome this political divide that we're seeing in this country. We haven't seen this, uh, yeah. in a, well, we've been seeing it for a while now. Didn't see it for a while. I think that is one thing that I can bring uh, a particularly strong asset, and here's why. Here's why, Patrick. Look, I haven't been in career politics my whole life. I've had to work with people from all walks of life in the military, every corner of this country, be on a team with them, uh, make it work, put the country above self. Um, in local government, that's what we do. We roll up our sleeves. It's nonpartisan. You figure it out. You hammer it out. You don't always agree, but you come up with compromise and you move things forward. In the private sector, that's how you work. In the in the nonprofit sector, that's how I've worked. Um, I can go to Washington, rock solid in our Bay Area values. Uh, it's very clear what I stand for. Um, be a rock-solid Democrat, but be able to relate to people from different parts of this country that may not agree with me on the hot-button issues. 
Maybe there's a congresswoman from Indiana who is strongly pro-life, and I am strongly pro-choice, but I'm a Catholic, and I went to Notre Dame, and I know the Midwestern people are good people, and I understand her perspective, but where can we agree on this matter? I can talk to the folks maybe on the right who may not agree with my perspective on um, you know, immigration, but they'll respect the fact that I was a veteran and I went to airborne school and maybe we can agree on infrastructure. Maybe we can agree that um, women, you know, shouldn't be going back to work 10 days after they give birth and how can we do more paid parental leave? How can we, how can, the, the action in government happens in the middle and I um, believe in civility. I've always worked that way, even under hot button circumstances at the local level. We have to bring civility and trust back into our institutions and we do that by people who are making close to the people they're serving and how they comport themselves. And I would be um, doing everything I could to model myself, even like Congresswoman Eshoo does. She always tries to put forth bipartisan legislation, and uh, that's how we've got to move the country forward. In behalf of Podcast by the Bay, Emily, I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to interview with us, and I want to wish you a lot of luck in running thank in this you, upcoming uh, June 7th primary do you have any closing words or anything you'd like to say? Well, I appreciate that. I just hope everybody gets out there and vote. Ballots are going to be arriving in mailboxes the first week in May with only 27% women in Congress. I don't want to see us lose more representation when Congresswoman Spear retires, so I hope you'll consider me very seriously for your vote. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.